Everybody, welcome to Video Night Beyond. I'm your host, Michael, the one that's barely awake. And the one that's fully awake is John on the other side. I'm awake, powered by Monster Juice. Oh, God, I'm powered by Igoo. That's all, that's all I can tell. This is the earliest I have ever recorded. I, I've recorded early before, like at 9 o'clock. I've never recorded at 8 o'clock in the morning. So, But if we didn't do it now, we were going to lose momentum, and uh, you're going on vacation for a little bit. So figure we get it in now. What are we discussing on this episode? Okay, we got four movies of 1985, and how about we kick the tires with uh, Enemy Mine? Oh, God. I mean, in my opinion, the best of the four. I absolutely adore this movie. I saw this when I was like 13 or 14. Uh, my mom's a big sci-fi fan. My dad couldn't give a shit less. Um, but uh, she rented this, and we just fell in love with it. And I haven't seen it in forever. And I finally got to watch it in high definition. And my God, is it gorgeous. <sighs> it, it, I, I would disagree with you it being the best movie that we saw. But it is a strong film. Yeah, I, oh, I know I what your favorite this. one of the bunch is. The one that I want to love and I'm so frustrated by that I just, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm broken inside. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, this this movie, I, I'd i seen this, yes, yeah, when I was young as well. And it's like a off TV and stuff. So, it I with commercials and stuff, it's obviously longer than I than I would have remembered watching it, but I seem to remember the second half of this film, the the stuff where the enemy mine, if you're going to take the title literally, uh, takes takes place with the uh, with the young child. I seem to remember that half of it being, I don't know, longer. I guess maybe they might have padded it out because that's so many movies were like this. And you can't find these scenes for a lot of these movies. I mean, lately with like Criterion and Arrow, they've been adding the scenes back in. But there could be another version of this. I don't have this on Blu-ray with all the special features. I think it's only available through like an Australian company called Umbrella. Um, I could be wrong. But um, for me, am I wrong in seeing this as a Western? I... Mm. It's like a survival know, western. western. Well, it's a, a lot of mixture of elements. Of course, it's based on a, a Hugo Award-winning novel from 1980, but it has elements of like the westerns and and, and uh, uh, the the defiant ones, and it has a lot of commentary. It has more on its mind than most of Wolfgang Peterson's movies, who are usually like dad films, like Das Boot and Air Force One and Line of Fire, stuff like that. Um, and I feel like yeah, you know yeah. it has a lot to say about slavery and racial tension and, and commentary on World War Two and stuff like that. Well, war in general. Yeah, because it effectively for the for those who don't know what the story is, basically Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. in Alien Face uh, end up on this planet where they have to learn to survive, and and it's. It's a beautifully well... All that stuff, I think, is the stronger half of the film, too, is these two characters, you know, having to struggle, learning each other's language, their faith. Well, mostly uh, Des Quaid learning Louis Gossett Jr.'s faith, but uh, it, the, like, how similar we are to our quote-unquote enemies than we are different. Yeah. Like, the idea at one point he, he has a, if you first you don't succeed, try, try again... And and Louis Gossett Jr.'s character immediately is like, "Oh, you know this Drax saying?" And he's like, "No, this this is a human saying." 
Yeah, I would say the the second half is more the populist, the one that sells it for the audience, kind of. But it's too black and white. I mean, it's just it's kind of over. And Brian James, uh, rest in peace. But that dude was not a subtle actor, (laughs) And, and it gets kind of cartoonish at the end, even though it's still exciting. But it's a little over the top. I do prefer the subtleties of them trying to survive together. Yeah, that I think that is. And again, I have not read the novel, but I guess that's where a lot. Where some of that stuff is not necessarily the mind part. I think that was actually added to the film because people didn't understand that it's a, uh, you know, it's like enemy mine, as in my enemy, not, oh, it's an enemy mine. Like a landmine, yeah. Yeah, or, well, yeah, a, uh, a, f- a place where you're digging things out of, yeah. you know, finding precious minerals and shit. That's, that was not what the title meant, but executives who don't understand wordplay (laughs) (laughs) well this is also did you read into the production on this this was a tortured production yeah i did i did read a little bit of it and it as i said it seems i i i will say it's like uh oh god was it there there was some visual similarities that i thought to like never-ending story and stuff too because when you're watching this thing there's definitely a a darkness in how it's shot yeah well i can imagine well he he moved it from original director was richard long crane a name sounds really familiar to me i think he might have done like inkart i could be wrong about that but um he was fired after a few weeks because it was severely over budget the the weather in budapest was uncontrollable and it was destroying everything uh, and Richard, or sorry, Lou Gossett Jr. looked apparently really bad in the costume. And so they shut down production, they let him finish Never Ending Story, and then they moved the production to Germany, and I'm wondering if they just used the same sets. They just redressed some of the sets. That could be, because there's definitely, like, some of that Swamp of Sadness stuff kind of looks like some of these uh, forests that yeah. they're in. Well, I mean, it was severely over budget within three weeks, so they had to cut money somehow, so... I can imagine they're like, well, you already have this set in Germany. Let's just use this. Yeah, and there's, like you said, it's there's some very good simple effects, like the uh, the little weird creature that's in a that's in the pit where you yeah. pretty much just see its its little claw. And I think I think you do see its face later on. Right when it comes uh, up through the camp. Yeah, but it's like it's such a simple, effective thing, like. You know when you when he's uh, Desquade gets caught in its pit and it's you know it's an extremely tense scene and all you've got is basically just a little a little diddly bopper that's wrapped around his leg. Right. Well, the biggest deal is the fact that it has like these hooks in the little grabber and that it just shreds your skin. Yeah, and my God, like there's not a lot of violence and gore or anything like this, but when it does violence and gore, it it's pretty messed up like yeah. especially at the end that uh, the guy falling into the grinder oh right it's like yeah. it's gory without being gory right yeah it's it's more of what you're thinking of than what you're seeing um you know this was supposed to be a big christmas release for them and you know they won the pg-13 money and it just it did not open this thing tanked pretty bad in america i guess it did over okay overseas but it was on videos when it really found its audience which uh, makes sense, makes sense, because this, this is again very much, it's a not so much I don't want to say a think piece, but yeah. it is, 
it's more about something. It's not flashy. It's not, I mean, there's, yeah, there's special effects, there's spaceships, there's all these, you know, things in the beginning and at the end that, that are visually interesting. But for the most part, it's, it's a story about two guys trying to survive. Yeah. And Lucas Jr., I can't believe how good he is. And, and it seems like it'd be so claustrophobic and restrictive, but he, he really gets into it. I will say this. I, it, it's a look that has to grow on you, but because yeah. it, it kind of feels partially it was done in sequence. Because when you when you're first introduced to him as a character, he's just got the dumbest looking face on, and it's as the two, you know, start start learning each other. Then then you get to see Louis Gossett acting his ass off. And yeah, again through this makeup. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking it's. It's so restrictive, and yes, the the costume is clearly like now it seems like oh that's like Buffy TV show level special effects, but in '85 it's really hard to get those pieces to work, you know, around the movement of you know a body, and he just I mean I know what Lou Gossett Jr. looks like, and yet I just don't see him at all in this. He he seems thinner, he seems more um, agile than I've ever seen him and he just really uses it the way like Roddy McDowell would use the Planet of the Apes costume he uses it as a tool instead of a hindrance exactly exactly he's again uh, as I said it's the the first thing and granted the first time we see him he's just kind of he's swimming around so it could be like he's acting that oh yeah my lizard person's using gills or something so he kind of has this weird open mouth you know, kind of the uh, face. Yeah. But it's, but again, like I said, once once they're together and once once these two are actually playing off each other, it's it's a beautiful performance. Yes. All right. What is our second film? Our second film is going to be Lady Hawk. Oh God, another one. I feel like I rented my mom rented this right around the same time, and I fell in love with it. Except for the score. The score has always weirded me out, and I finally let go this last time. Of just hey, you know what? It's just 1985. Let this slide. <laughs> yeah, well, see, I like the score independent of the film because it's like a it's like a Alan Parsons project uh, thing, and it's and it's entertaining, but it does not fit this film in any way. And this would like, happen a lot there's... over the years. How many movies have we seen like this where they decide, hey, we need a heavy metal soundtrack, or hell, we need some like 70s pop, like Knight's Tale and stuff like that, and it just doesn't fit. Yeah, and well, that's the thing. It's like there's score pieces in this film that are normal and nor and good, and you know, fant- feels like proper fantasy stuff. But then, yeah, it's all of a sudden then rock song, and I I remember liking this film more than I liked it this time. Like I, Rucker Howard's great, Michelle Pfeiffer's great, uh, Matthew Broderick's great. Like no one's necessarily bad in this film it's just i don't know i seem to remember there being more to this movie than they start in one location and then go to another one and that's kind of it yeah well (laughs) my problem this last time was is i really noticed how paper thin the villains were the movie works because of the trilogy and you know the two of them working around matthew broderick that's why the movie works and plus it is a really tragic tale but when you focus on the villains i could care less or or what bishop villain is just bad to be bad yeah and it's and and it's like and while the while the curse itself is tragic you know the 
he's you know by day he's you know he's a man she's a falcon or a hawk and then by night he's a wolf and she's human and they and the two shall never never be apart never be together until there's an eclipse uh, but it's like it his re- basically just has his revenge fantasy that he's going to kill this dude which is just going to doom them and it's even though it's like yeah patience dude don't yeah <laughs> you know you've got you've got your entire thing of it's like yeah you got obviously this is middle ages they don't know exactly when eclipses are going to happen but it's if it all it if all it takes to break this curse is just you know okay there needs to be an eclipse and you need to go and and hang out with this you know be in front of this dude and be like we're together you know that's you know, he can find a way to hide out i'm sure yeah you know what's funny is that this almost ended up being kurt russell in the lead and as much as i love kurt russell who in fact may be my favorite actor um i don't think it would have worked he doesn't have that that thing that Rudger Hauer has, that burning sinister, is he good or is he bad kind of feel, I don't think Kurt Russell could have sold it as well. Yeah, he he is extremely intense, and I love it. I'm here for that completely. Well, the fact that he's also Dutch, and he brings an exotic feel to it, where I just don't see how... <laughs> I don't see Kurt Russell doing an accent, <laughs> and it wouldn't have worked in his normal voice. Yeah, him doing a British accent would be very awkward. Maybe Broderick doing one's kind of awkward. Yeah, his goes. I don't get it. He's a stage actor. You'd think that he would have committed, but his English accent kind of bounces around a lot. Yeah, like I said, I I didn't like this this time around, but it's compared to things where we've watched movies and, oh, I've not liked this one. This is far from being like, oh my god, I was bored. Oh, oh my compared god, to last you know, episode, 1984, this is a fucking miracle episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This Everything in this thing was, in some way or another, entertaining. Yeah. Even, I, even if I liked it less. What I like the best about it is that we're in the period where everybody's trying to show off with bladder effects, you know, transformation effects. And Richard Donner does he skips all of that. He just uses kind of cross images, like, you know, over, overlay images to show the transformation. He uses light. Um, and I think that's what really makes it timeless, because if you just went for the, you know, traditional air bladder effects, that it would age pretty badly. Yeah, unless unless they did some sort of, like, American Werewolf in yeah. London shit. Yeah. There's only there's, a couple movies that no could pull way. that off, yeah. Yeah. All right, what is our next goal? Our next film is going to be Brazil. Oh, this is the one that I want to love. I just do, but I can't. I don't, especially the director's cut. I know it's the full vision, but it's so fucking long. <laughs> it just... It I, is long, but it is, I think this movie's brilliant. It's uh, gorgeous, but I, it's, I'm not made for, I like Terry Gilliam too, but this movie for some reason just loses me. I don't get it. I Go ahead. You're the, you're the smart one. Well, I'm the dumb one. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is this, it's effectively... Monty Python's 1984. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, yes. And, and it's all about bureaucracy. It's all about the insanity that uh, the day-to-day living kind of is. And it, there are jokes in this film. And a lot of times, I'll say this, the outright jokes are hit, hit and miss. Like like the uh, the mother getting her, uh, she's, she's going through surgery you know various facial surgeries and stuff like that and like one of the first times they're doing it and she's getting uh like the guy's gonna make a mold 
you know, uh, so that we know exactly what we're going to do to your face here. And she just basically just wraps her face in plastic. <laughs> Isn't it as funny as I think Terry Gilliam thought it was? It's not, it's not like it's not funny, but it's, I think he's hoping for like a gut busting laugh. Yeah. Whereas well, he never seems to be a, a gut busting laugh are... kind of guy. He always seems like this is uncomfortable laugh. You know, like this is weird laugh. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, there's so much stuff in this that is so darkly funny and just it's hilarious without without uh, being overtly like we're telling you a joke here and yeah it's like i think one of my favorite things in this is actually uh, uh our main character who's this dreamer he's his uh mother is trying to set him up with his her her friend's daughter and she's this weird, awkward, like, kind of seems like she's crazy or something. Like, there's just something off about her. Maybe maybe she's autistic. It, it's hard to tell until you kind of get near the end. And she finally kind of breaks out of this. And she's like, you know, she's basically like, I don't like you. I do not want to get married. He's like, that's okay. I don't like you either. And <laughs> as he's leaving it, she gives them this look of like, God, you're a fucking loser. <laughs> like, it's the it's the most brilliant little subtle bit of acting. Just like, oh God, I can't believe my mom wants me to be with you. You suck. <laughs> and uh, this this one's got a hell of a cast because you've got uh, like Robert De Niro's in this, uh, Michael Palin, Ian Holm. God, uh, oh. Bob Hoskins shows up at one point. Yep, I can't remember who plays Although, his, who plays the girl with the short blonde hair. She was in um, Running Scared as Billy Crystal's wife. I like that actress. I can't remember her name though. Oh, do I have the name? I don't know if I wrote down the name. Did I write down the name? I'll look. I don't think I wrote down the name. Oh, Kim Kim Graced. Thank you, Kim Graced, and then of course Catherine Hellman from uh, Soap and Who's the Boss. I love her as his mother. <coughs> Excuse me. But it's like one of my my absolute favorite uh, character though is uh, Bob Hoskins, uh, you know, partner in uh, in repair. Uh, this guy named Dowser. Uh, character. Uh, the actor's name is Derek O'Connor. He is amazing because he's just this. Can't see like he's this little wormy dude right next to him, just kind of like repeating what Bob Hoskins says. Uh huh. And and then at one point he's. Uh, uh, our hero stops them by asking if they have a certain form so that they can go and do work in his apartment because Robert De Niro's in the middle of there doing illegal work and he mentions up and the guy just starts freaking out it's just the most brilliant like what the f- is going on here <laughs> what is this guy's story <laughs> this guy is insane <laughs> but I, yeah part of me also is because I can't believe well, I, I understand. People want to have happy endings and stuff. Yeah. And it, hence why there's a cut where's the love conquers all ending, where our hero, like in 1984, effectively gets captured by the thought police. You know, the version of this, he's brought into uh, into interrog- to be interrogated, and all of a sudden it, it turns into this uh, this generic action film where all of a sudden everything is. Oh yeah, the heroes have come to save the day. They're going to our rescue, and you know, there's some random stuff. And then it's like, oh, our heroes off with the girl in the sunset, and they're going to have a happy life. 
and then it turns out that he's just gone mad. He's he's now to cope with the fact that he's being tortured. He's now gone into himself, and he's just got this kind of happy expression on his face, and it's just you know, it's like it's a dark ending, and it's appropriate for the film. Right. And I I can't I can't see them with this happy ending where it's like oh yeah it's all true or Robert De Niro was just the leader apparently of a of a government uh, anti-government group it's like no he's just he's a dude who likes to uh, mess with the system that's all yeah and I guess the studio hated it so they did some re-edits and reshoots and uh, that's why we have like three different versions of this movie right yeah and it's and I, I do love uh Gilliam's uh, way of kind of getting around that where he just basically put like an ad because he had submitted the film you know it had been shown people had seen this version of the film and then they were going to start monkeying with it and he just puts out this ad in Variety where it's like hey you know producer you know why haven't you released my film yet and what happened like internationally did they just release it his way and then in America they didn't and slowly it changed no it it never came out with that uh, Love Conquers All version uh, I think that might have been a t- end up ultimately maybe being a TV version. Oh, okay. But, uh, he got his version released, but basically just kind of shaming the studio into putting out the film that everybody liked. <laughs> well, good on him. He's always had trouble, though. Almost always had trouble getting his movies the way that they were originally shot to be put out because uh, I feel like it's a long history of either it was a tortured production or uh, the studios meddled with it after it was done. I still, I still need to see the man who killed Don Quixote. Yeah, uh, that's the one. I, that's the torturous production that he somehow got over the fucking line. Yeah, because I have, I oh, I had, I don't have it anymore. But the documentary that was about about that production originally, and it's if you ever want to see a film that shows you what filmmaking is like, I mean, even more so than like studio, uh, you know, made back, you know, behind the scenes features and stuff like that. If you want to see a thing about how films are made, watch that. It is fascinating. All right, so what but, is our fourth and final film? Return to Oz. Oh, God, what a wonderful movie. The only legitimate Oz movie, in my opinion. Well, see, well yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that, that it is much more, even though it's technically a sequel to Wizard of Oz, it is more of an adaptation of the books, the, the the second or third book, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Ozma of Oz, I believe, and um, shit, I can't remember, like The Woodsman of Oz, maybe? I can't remember. It's been a long time. I used to read these books all the time, and then I can't remember anymore. Yeah, it's like, I know that I saw this in a drive-in. You lucky, lucky me. boy. It was like, all I know is that this thing freaked me the fuck out when I was like, oh, yeah. what? Five. Yeah, we <laughs> uh, like we were watching it at my grandmother's house, and she got to the part where they're giving her um, electroshocks, and immediately turned it off, and we just kind of like, oh well, great. <laughs> we don't get, to, and I can get to see it for like another ten years. Yeah, I I genuinely don't know if I've seen this since then or not. Oh wow! I, it feels it feels like I have, but at the same time, it's like I either it's either that or just. Because the electroshock stuff and one thing that I know bothered the hell out of me were the uh, were the gnomes. Oh, like just God. the faces in the yeah, rocks. Yeah. Mine was to... the wheelers, the goddamn I... wheelers. Even at forty four, oh. the wheelers make me oh, so yeah. freaked out. Yeah, especially that first the first one that shows up. 
That's just <laughs> whatever thing of him is ridiculous laughing. Yeah, if you've not seen this, okay. <laughs> the wheelers are these dudes who are on you know, they've their hands and feet are wheels. They kind of roll around like they're giant roller blades or roller skates. And they have a helmet on their head, on the top of their head, because as they're rolling around, there's, their face is looking at the ground, and this helmet head is looking straight out. So you have this, these messed up, evil-looking faces. Then they look up, and they're like these creepy new wave assholes. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's, sho- it's really shocking, just how freaky this shit is yeah it's uh it's like, really dark in tone. and this the, the fantasy movies of the 80s were just like this it's just the, they were testing the realm of what you know you could get away with in kids movies and the whole 80s is just filled with this but all these movies basically tanked and i think what that kind of ended with 1990s the witches um I mean, there's anomalies, of course, like Matilda, but there was a period where they were all just like testing to see, ooh, what what creepiness can we get away with? And this movie yeah. really tests the limits, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of creepy elements, but it's also that's closer to what the books were. There's no musical numbers, there's no little goofy little elements. I mean, this movie is really close to what he envisioned, but with more of an '80s twist. Yeah, because that's one thing. It's definitely those wheelers are very. Tim Burton esque. Yeah. Like had 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 he made this film like say they wanted to shoot shoot this film today, the wheelers probably would look exactly the same. Like everything else could totally look different. Well actually you know the gump is kind of kinda of also Burton esque. There's a lot. The design work on this is so interesting. <laughs> well they redo a lot of the work that we've seen before. Everybody looks um Oh, like I want to say, like the Tin Man is really a Tin Man. He's not a guy in a suit. It's a puppetry thing. The the, the lion, you know, all these the scarecrow, all of it is now more practical effects instead of guys in suits. I think Scarecrow is still a guy in a suit, but uh, the way they do TikTok could not have been done even ten years earlier. The puppetry on that is just fascinating. Well, it's like a dude. It was a dude in a suit. Uh, he was, I guess, uh, he was stand. He was basically on his hands moving around no kidding so he's I mean, on his hands walking wow i thought i always thought yeah, that it was up, puppetry. Always, yeah it, i i would have just thought it's like uh like marvin in the uh in the hitchhiker's guide film where it's just a you know dude in a suit walking but no it was uh it was a dude doing handstands the whole time so i really feel bad for that dude i'm looking walter murch is the writer and director of this and this is the only movie that he ever did that is insane. He worked uh, like on other films. Yeah, I, he was a big. Uh, he worked with uh, George Lucas a lot on, in sound recording and stuff like that, and uh, Francis Ford Coppola. But this is the only movie he did, and it's, fuck, if this is the only one you ever get to do, then I guess at least it's going to be much loved. I mean, this bombed at the time horribly, but it is uh, much beloved yeah, well, now. This was, well, this is one of the films where he like like we had with uh, some of the other ones where it's he was going over budget and over time and. Apparently, George Lucas said that he'd come in and help shoot the film for free to help out. He didn't, I guess, but uh, he's like his friend was he was in trouble, and he was willing to totally uh, take time and and make this film happen for him. Yeah, this goes really well with Labyrinth, I think. Oh yeah, this this is very much Dark Crystal, Labyrinth. This these those all kind of exist in a similar kind of headspace. Yeah. 
uh, Feruza Balk. I think this is her debut, oh, and it's so funny seeing her then and seeing her now because I just watched the sequel to The Craft, and I'm like, wow, that's. I mean, I know it's been like 40 years, but still, I was like, wow, it was shocking, <laughs> the difference. Yeah, well, it's like let's talk a little bit about Mombi, the uh, the oh, princess dude. that collects heads. Oh no, oh, the nightmares! The, the nightmares the are gonna come back. Fuel. <laughs> the nightmare fuel. The nightmare fuel. The headroom that when when uh, Frizzabox stealing the this powder of life, all of a sudden the heads wake up and start screaming. It's just like, good God. Yeah. Well, and the the special effects. Um by uh, oh my god he's even from here um give me a minute keep talking while i try to remember who the fuck it is he died a couple years ago uh well it's like i mean there's so much stuff like there is the tie-in to the original film is that they, they had to pay mgm for the ruby slippers because uh in in the books of course there were no ruby slippers that was so uh so mgm could have originally showed off the technicolor and be like hey look this is beautiful red stuff so they paid him if dizzy paid mgm to uh for the rights to use the ruby slippers and they make a light cameo because it's just the gnome king is wearing them and i guess in the book he like chops it up and uh makes a belt out of out of the silver slippers i think it is oh, okay but, but uh but yeah it dude the gnome king uh played by the guy who did uh merlin in, oh right uh, nicole williamson yeah yeah also, the really shitty Spawn movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's um, Leo Stroh and Spawn. It's, uh, the animation was done by Will Vinton, who is from Portland. Uh, he does such a... This is kind of like his showcase. And this is how he would get hired like the next year to do The Adventures of Mark Twain. And then he would do the California Raisins animation. Um, big guy around here. His company was sold and it became Leica. Okay. okay. Yeah, so all the yeah, bones... All the bones for Leica are in this movie. Return to Oz. Without it, there is no company, and there is nothing to sell to Nike. <laughs> well, watching the, uh, watching that, at least now as an adult, watching that the claymation for those, for those gnomes, the, uh, the these faces on the wall, it's like there's brilliant work there. It is like they're two dimensional images. Like I mean almost no you know features it's basically just eyes a little bit of nose a little bit of like eyebrows kind of work and he's using the absolute bare minimum to express quite a bit of emotion yeah well it's also amazing is that these are what i think of gnomes i do not think of the gnomes that you see in this movie it's a complete reinterpretation of that um um imaginary character yeah i mean at I would have probably said dwarves or something like that, considering like the Gnome King's entire thing about uh, precious jewels and stuff. I would have named it Rock Monster. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, Rock Monster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like because they totally raid the Emerald City and take all the emeralds from it. So it's he wants his he wants his precious jewels back. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think it was a, a just absolutely god damn amazing movie <laughs> i just love it so much and it's just it's it was lost for a long time disney was ashamed of it and finally like in the late 90s after the craft they're like hey maybe we should re uh release this anchor bay did it with um uh uh ball coming in to do an intro and an interview and that's when it started to find but it when it showed up on the disney plus 
uh, last year is when it just became like this huge deal. Everybody was talking about it for a while. Yeah, well, at least it, it's because of you know people, you know people my age, your age, stuff like that. We've we grew up getting traumatized by these wonderful eighties uh, <laughs> films, so we now have to traumatize our children. If we don't traumatize our children, who's going to do it? Right. Everything is too safe these days. <laughs> it just passes on to the next generation, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a wonderful. It's it's wildly different, guys. Do not expect it to be the exact same as the the old one, or you'll be horrified and disappointed. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's a phenomenal film. Yeah, I think like it's maybe of the of the four films we did. I think this is my second favorite. Again, Brazil's still still my favorite, but damn, this thing! Yeah, it took <laughs> balls to do this. This film is a yeah. This film has has a huge set of cojones. <laughs> cojones. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for this episode. Check us out on Facebook under uh, Video Night and uh, on Twitter under. I'm at musician, M-Y-U-Z-I-S-H-I-O-N. And I'm, I'm also Red- on Twitch, oh, and I finally figured out how to down, how to actually save my gameplays now. So oh, yay! Stuff will actually show up. You should show me how Things to do this, because I want to figure out how to do it with my Raspberry Pi. I'm sure somebody can, you can record the video. I want to, I want to go through some of these really rare old uh, games from my uh, Raspberry Pi that I have, like, on the uh, Neo Geo and TurboGrafx-16. Two uh, great systems that I think people just ignore. Yeah, definitely. The, the Turbo Graphics, I'd love to watch some of the gameplays on that. It's been forever. All right. So, everybody, uh, it's really early, so I can't say have a good night. Uh, I'm going back to bed. So, have a good second evening <laughs> or whatever it is that's going on in your world. <laughs> All right. Thank you, John. Have, have a good one, everyone. <laughs>